You're listening to Wins Above Fantasy, part of the Pitcherless Podcast Network, with Van Burnett and Steve Giswelli. Welcome back, everybody. It is Wins Above Fantasy, episode 59. We got an awesome show today. I'm Van Burnett, joined as always by Steve Giswelli, and we are going to kind of take a, a small reflection moment, Steve, and look back at draft season and use this episode to kind of recap from drafts until now everything that we've learned, whether that's you know, the different trends from draft season, anything new that we're seeing with some of these guys who are coming out of nowhere. Tons of fun on the show today. But Steve, the other part of reflection is reflecting on the past 48 hours you have had a new father to a baby girl, Steve. Congrats. I'm so happy for you and Lauren, man, and cannot believe that you have somehow wiggled your way onto the podcast without missing a stride. But dude, how is life? Congratulations on behalf of uh, all of our listeners. I know I've been talking your ear off before the show, but uh, officially on air. Talk to us, Papa Giswelli. I I knew I should have packed my uh, podcast mic in the hospital bag. (laughs) I don't know why uh, Lauren said that was a bad idea, but uh, we're here anyway. Yeah, it's been... uh, a crazy, uh, you know, basically last day, um, a little earlier than we were expected, but everything's all good so far. Knock on wood, uh, you know, mom's healthy, baby's healthy, all that. Um, but yeah, really appreciate it. I know we were, you were chatting and, uh, having some laughs about it and, 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 and some, you know, baseball talk mixed in there. It wouldn't be uh, a conversation that we had without that, but, uh, really appreciate it. And yeah, so, much appreciate all the shout outs and everything. Uh, it's been it's been great, a, a whirlwind, but it's been absolutely great and uh, you know uh, an amazing feeling. So yeah, appreciate it. Super uh, super happy for you, man. And I'll probably uh, bug you years down the road for uh, fatherly <laughs> advice, Steve. I do have to ask because I didn't ask off air. Was there a moment from Lauren of like you're not seriously jumping on wins above fantasy one day after our newborn? <laughs> Uh, I mean, it? no, no, she was, she was supportive of it. I mean, you know, I, I, we have, uh, as if our life isn't crazy enough, we have a six month old puppy at home as well. Um, so, so I had to walk. To, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I had to come home for Tate anyway. Um, and you know, obviously, uh, you know, all, all the joking that we did, you know, this is way, you know, down on a priority list, but it just, it just so happened to work out that, you know, I, I'm home now. My, um, Lauren's still there with, with the baby and everything like that. So, um, yeah, uh, she is, you know, she deserves all of the credit for what she does and what she allows me to get away with, uh, in, in fantasy baseball, uh, scope, whether it's podcasting or just, you know, being an over obsessed fantasy baseball manager. So, well, sometimes, uh, you know, yeah. the sun just kind of shines on the moment. You get these little serendipity uh, opportunities. And I, it's got to be said, Steve, you know, I'm going to give you the fantasy ba- banter despite the, the reality of life and, and what a miracle blessing having a kid is. The fantasy side, I immediately laughed because I know you pulled off a pretty major trade to acquire Marcus Simeon. And looking at like the Yahoo Sports homepage, there's a tile that's like Marcus Simeon has one of the biggest fantasy days in history. And I was like, well, hopefully at one point you glance down at your phone and were able to be like, 
yes, this was a monster night as well. Because sometimes it just, you hit all green lights, man. It's a, it's a great day. I, I would be lying if I wasn't pitching uh, Simeon Giswelli, uh to be the name there for uh, for a bit. <laughs> uh after a, a seven for eight performance from Marcus Simeon, oh, dude, I was leading like hoping... the, the best fantasy day I've had in like three years. Oh, uh, I thought you know, I thought uh, maybe it would be six seven, and then you'd have the June seventh birthday. But yeah. you know. anyway, congrats, Steve! Super pumped, and uh, yeah, we get to talk baseball. So today we, like I said, are looking at basically all the draft trends, and the the thinking for this show was. We're two months away. At this point, we've been talking on the the past couple episodes. We've kind of seen enough to evaluate early trends. Now, the grain of salt for this entire episode is that we are just two months in. A lot can happen. Last year at this time, Joey Votto was a bum. Last year at this time, Jesse Winker was like Babe Ruth. And things can happen that will change the trajectory. But we still thought draft season is fresh enough in our mind Let's look in hindsight and use it as kind of a vehicle to talk about a bunch of players, but let's learn from the draft. And there are all these things that people think about, whether it's, you know, the third based wasteland or uh, closers having an inflated price near the top. And then we, we draft, we manage our teams and we never really look back and say, you know, what What worked from draft season? What was an industry trend that was valid? What was one that was way off? And so we're going to use this episode to kind of do that. So, Steve, uh, I'll open the floor up if you have just general thoughts on the show topic, kind of how you're framing up this, this episode in your mind, and then we'll get into about six or seven draft trends that will open up a, a bevy of player conversation and everything like that. But the floor is yours, Steve. What do you think about the uh, the draft learnings episode here? Yeah, I think it's a great topic. Um, I think there's a lot of draft day biases. Like there, there's there's things that happen, and there's detractors of ADP and everything. It's like that. I, I know Gray over at Rasball talks about like how ADP is kind of determined by a few random drafts in October, and it's like okay, you know, this is where someone's being drafted uh, six months before the season starts, and it's for the most part, kind of where the guy stays. Uh, I know there's some exceptions with, with information that comes available and, and, you know, research that's done, but uh, there, there's some truth to that statement for sure. I, I don't think it's a, a catch-all, but there definitely are some biases that happen throughout early draft season, late draft season. Um, and I think we do sort of reflect on that um, at the end of the year a lot. Um, and see like, okay, hey, who was the biggest loser in ADP? Who was the biggest gainer in value there? Um, but there could be some value doing it midseason and sort of like a reassessment. It's like, okay, like we thought this position was super shallow. Um, it's actually pretty deep. Maybe there's some options that I could do a trade here or, uh, you know, I, I'm not, uh, my, my options on the wire aren't as bad as it might have seemed um, on April 7th, you know? Um, so it, it's, it's cool to confirm our draft day biases. And, uh, you know, as we hit like the, the quarter point, uh, third, third way point of, of the season here on, uh, June 8th, as we record this. Yeah. And I, I think there's a nice mix of kind of learning for future drafts and not trying to 
it maybe fall into the pitfalls of groupthink like you're talking about and then some immediate actionable items like you're saying where maybe you can uh, view a position a little bit differently or just kind of assess your, I mean, last week we did let's make a deal with trade. So that's kind of fresh in the mind. Maybe that this can lead to some some trade opportunity, but let's jump in, Steve. And the, the first one kind of starting at first base, the advice going into the season or really the, the trend was that first base has uh, loads of depth where the position you, you didn't need to be in a huge hurry. Of course, you weren't going to turn away from like a Vlad or Freddie Freeman, but we knew that there was positional depth here, especially as you got into like the mid 100s with guys like CJ Crone, Joey Votto, so on and so forth. But the two of us did a show where we were kind of talking about draft strategy. And I remember we were talking about uh, needing or wanting to target one of those top five main guys, which was, was basically going up to like Olsen and Alonzo. So as we kind of look midway through the season, I think, you know, the, you can you can look at it different ways, but the overarching headline for me is that the position is in fact deep. Right now in 5x5 five five rankings, uh, 13 first basemen are in the top 100, uh, which is more than almost any position could say there. And on top of that, there's been kind of the underperforming guys that are outside of the top 100 that will more than likely come around. I mean, Jose Abreu has been off to a, a cold start. Matt Olson, it looks much better under the hood. He seems to be warming up. Joey Votto as well, who's almost mirroring his exact start to last season uh, with, I think, the past month. He has a 1,000 OPS for Joey Votto. But how? what are your thoughts, Steve, on first base depth, just kind of where we're at in the season and how you feel we've done as basically an industry on advising people how to how to tackle first base? Um, I think, uh, and, and maybe more so me than you, I think I was a little bit more concerned about first base being a little bit top heavy and wanting to grab one of those top guys. Mm -hmm. But I think overall now it's definitely more deep than, than we, uh, you know, thought on draft day, like a lot of the biggest breakouts so far of 2022 are at the first base position. I know Ty France has a lot more position eligibility, but I think he plays mostly first base this year and, yep. uh, and leagues with stricter eligibilities might be first base only. He has a one up 163 WRC plus CJ Crone's been amazing and is improving on what was a breakout year last year. He's got a 131 WRC plus, um, and two of the biggest breakouts, uh, like pop-up guys that were essentially free, uh, are also at the first place position in Rowdy Telez and Christian Walker. So uh, uh, th th it's it's really uh, a deep position, and that's with guys like I know Matt Olson, uh, Matt Olson isn't struggling by any stretch, but he's a slight disappointment if you grab him in the second round. Same with Vlad for being uh, a first rounder. I'm not saying that he wouldn't even be a first rounder if we were drafting today. He definitely would be. And has been a, a lot better as of late, but it's not been you know the 200 WRC plus it was uh, to the first two months of of, of 2021. Um, and then there's some guys that are even better, like Pete Alonso is a lot better than we we than he was drafted at, and Paul Goldschmidt, who's the number one first baseman by WRC plus at 188, is having like a career year uh, so far um, at age I think 34. 
Um, so yeah, uh, first base is really, really good and probably even better than most people even thought. Yeah. And I mean, there's depth beyond as well with like guys who are probably out on the, the waiver wire and depending on like eligibility, but Yurikson and Profar yeah, has Garrett put together Cooper. a nice year. Yep, yeah. Cooper. Yeah. Um, even just, you know, uh, Wilmer I've, Flores I've, has been great, you know, and I know it's yeah. like a more platoon bat, but like. There's, there, just there's a lot of good guys. Yeah, yeah, there really is. And uh, even like, in deep leagues. Yeah. 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 And I think um, if you recall, you can listen back to the episode. My my approach on it was I'm in with you on the top five. And then I was kind of dodging out and I wanted to come back in on like Josh Bell, Crone, Vado, that range. And you and you did great. And you're doing great there. I mean, I know Vado was horrible for the first month, but since he's been back from the IL, it's been amazing so yeah he's been great no that one is is definitely a uh register soundbite that 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 has worked well i think for us but also for the industry of just like the depth i think in terms of actionable advice like you said it's a good learning that if you were counting on someone to kind of be you know your cornerstone at first like a, a freddie freeman uh i have him rostered in some leagues there might be opportunity. Freddie Freeman, just like four homers right now. Sure, he'll warm up and and figure it out. I mean, he's been very solid outside of that batting. Oh, yeah, outside of the homers, yeah. Right, but if you have Freeman and you also have, you know, like a Telez or, uh, you know, insert some of the other names we've been talking about, Schwarber's really heating up lately, then maybe that might be a, a trade piece that won't, won't crush you just because of the prevalence of first base. Obviously, that is a, a sell very high, but... Um, yeah, yeah I, or or if you have those guys in like a util or a corner corner infield spot, like you're still doing amazing at that position, you know. Yeah. Like if you if you have Freeman and then you know picked up Telez because he had a good matchup and you're still riding it out or something like that, like you're you're doing more than fine. And yeah, that that's a great point. Like you you might be able to swing you know uh, Freeman for an absolute you know top five pitcher. Uh, if you need it, because you do, you know you do have some XX value there, kind of bleeds over into the topic of the last show. But that's a great point, definitely something you can do. Considering first base is a lot deeper and a lot better than I think most people thought on draft day. Yeah, and let's jump to the other side of the diamond because complete opposite at third base was widely viewed as the wasteland, and it was pretty much you know I mean people talk about second every year pretty much and catchers relief pitchers throw them out because we all know what those positions are but third base was viewed as like wow this is really shallow we talked about the positional cliff and I recall we were saying the top eight and it pretty much led up until Nolan Arenado and that and and Bregman was right around there too and then beyond that it was kind of like I don't know about Rendon and beyond that it starts to get really ugly where you're really counting on landing like a, a Justin Turner or uh, like a Cabrian Hayes. And that's kind of been an interesting story so far this year because sure the top has been kind of the usual suspects where Jose Ramirez, Devers, Machado, they've all been outstanding. But beyond that, it seems like there's been, so far at least, Steve, a little bit of found money at third. Uh, do you have any thoughts on kind of possibly the expanding depth at this position or is it way too early for you to kind of believe that third base has more depth than we thought 
I think it's slightly better than we think. I know Arenados, you know, I think it was player of the month for April, um, slowed off a bit in May and then was picking it a little bit back up in June. Um, but that definitely counts as found money. You know, he's been a lot better than what he was being drafted at, like a, uh, you know, probably anywhere from like the fifth to sixth, fifth to eighth round or something like that. People were, it, it was the, there was the most concern on Arenado draft day in his career essentially um and he's you know been a lot better than than his than his cost um the bush bounce yeah. back man same yeah thing, for same sure thing yeah same thing did. same exact thing yeah it's it's sure you know keep that in mind whoever uh you know uh signs in in in, in st louis or is traded for uh to become a cardinal take him the the second year um it just right. takes a little bit to to adjust uh, Hayes has been good, but the power really hasn't been there. It's just a 393 slug. Um, you know, I, I know he's chipping in seven stolen bases, and the underlying metrics say the power should be coming, and I think it will be. Um, but other than that, like the pop up guys, I don't think are as impactful as the first base uh, pop up guys are. You know, um, I know Brandon Drury has been great, uh, but Patrick Wisdom is kind of just, you know, a batting average liability and kind of does this where he goes on extreme runs. Suarez that you have listed here, another guy that has a lot of power and is probably, you know, that that guy that we sort of talked ourselves into as like a 220, 30, 35 homer guy, which is really good. But there's been some disappointments here too. Like Bobby Witt has just a 91 WRC plus. I know he's been a lot better recently and has helped you out with seven homers and eight steals. Uh, Ryan McMahon's been nothing short of disappointment. Um, you know, just four home runs in, in Colorado, and you know, guys like Justin Turner, who's been slightly better recently, is still batting just 223 with four homers. So uh, I think that it's still not as great of a position as it is. And Bregman and, and Rendon have essentially been bust too. I know Rendon's hurt again, but like, man, he just has not been great since, uh, you know, you, even the shortened season in 2020, he wasn't the, the typical Anthony Rendon four category, absolute, you know, set it and forget it player, uh, you know, 280, 28 homers, a hundred runs, hundred RBIs. He hasn't been close to that since 2019. Yeah, it definitely seems like, the managers who prioritize third base uh, in the top 60 picks are in a much better spot where, you know, just on like a Rasball player Raider, like the the dollar value of like a Machado, Ramirez, Devers, like there's such a drop off from those those top guys to where we'll talk about like pitching in a second. But yeah, I, I think it, it checks out that third base was shallow. There's there's kind of. Uh, surprise people who have cracked in here. Um, Santiago Espinal is has eligibility, I think, just in Yahoo. Um, but yeah, Espinal has been solid as well. Yeah, batting two ninety three, five homers, three steals. So I guess it's um, you know, do you think you could stream your way through the season with a third baseman in like regular leagues and? and still come out okay with a chance to like win your league? Or do you think at this point, I, I, I think he, I think it might be, you might be okay, but you know, you're, you're definitely gonna have a disadvantage. Like, you know, unless you have one of those top guys, like, you know, 
J Ram, Devers, Machado, Riley, Arenado, um, and even maybe that that second tier there, you, you'll probably be pretty good. But you know, it, it's definitely like it, it's the top heavy. You know, it's the the, the quintessential top heavy position now, um, where those top guys might be a little bit better. Like Jose Ramirez is probably the best player in fantasy right now. Um, so uh, yeah, and Devers and Machado are like MVP candidates. Um, so it, th- this is like the top heavy position, you know, maybe it was third base wasteland to third base top heavy, you know, that that's sort of the trend. Yeah. And I think my mental note for future drafts as well is I know sometimes people completely throw position eligibility out and, and mm-hmm. think, let me take the best player, but seeing how this is starting to shake out, if this trend continues, you know, next year, and assuming that third base is weak as well, I think I might be a little bit more, I might treat it as even more than a tiebreaker and actually go in with, with a plan for, because I feel like, yeah, we, we just talked about first base base and the depth in one of my leagues where I grabbed Freddie Freeman. I wish I would have taken Devers, I mm-hmm. guess is my point. So um, yeah, I think that's still two for two though, really, because first base, we feel like there's still great depth third base, Unless you want to hit your wagon to Brandon Drury, who is, as of tonight, dealing with like Achilles soreness. Uh, Wisdom, like you said, he runs hot. I do think there's some interesting stuff there with kind of some speed that people don't give enough credit to. Um, but yeah, overall, totally agree. Top heavy at third, and it, it can get nasty beyond that. Um, top catchers is a trend that I think almost goes hand in hand with closers, but we'll talk about the closers later. This was one, Steve, in our, our mock draft for pitcher list. It was kind of blowing up the discord where people were saying, I can't believe, you know, some people aren't prioritizing these top five catchers. You and I are serial offenders of punting catcher all the way until Mike Zanino comes up. (laughs) And this year it was really like, you know that there was there was that group of people, and I kind of bought into it this year of pay up early for Real Muto, Will Smith, Dalton Varsho, Grandal, who is my chalkboard guy. I was huge on him, and then Wilson Contreras. And that group of guys, you had to pay such a premium for. Now yeah, you kind of look it at only how that went, it went up. two for it went two for five, right? In in Contreras and. Uh... And Varsho, and even Varsho's cooled off a little bit here. Yes, exactly. If you're Contreras, you kind of hit the jackpot. Yep. And I don't think anyone was real. I mean, sure, people liked that Contreras was going later than the rest of them. But I don't think, you know, most of the noise I heard was around Will Smith or it was around Grandal from present company included. Uh, but Contreras has has been far and away the best player, um, again, with the Rasball Player Raider, his his dollar value so far has been 25 and then it drops off to Tyler Stevenson next at 17 Dalton Varsho at 16 and then you got Alejandro Kirk Jonah Heim mm-hmm. then you get Real Muto you got to go all the way down to 9 to get to Will Smith and Grandal's not even on the board so Steve is this just uh you kind of twirling your mustache over there and and thinking like this is exactly why I don't invest in catcher or do you think it's way too early or or a little bit of both um the I don't think I'm going to take a victory lap because I've been on uh what a few of my friends call a a catcher carousel um you know 
where you know you you don't have a top catcher. You know you add Jonah Heim, he doesn't start for two days. Then you add uh, mm-hmm. you know Max Stassi, then you add Mitch Garver, whatever. Yeah. Um, I'm riding out, um, and William Contreras right now currently in my home league, who homered tonight, um, by the way. Um, but yeah, I, I'm on that sort of trying to find a hot hand and, and stick with it catcher. Uh, so it's you know, still I, I, I probably should have just like sat on Jonah Heim or sat on MJ Melendez who've been good. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you expected to draft one of those top catchers and to be like a set and forget it and like to avoid that catcher carousel, you're probably kicking yourself unless you got Contreras or, or Varsho. Uh, so I know there was probably like three or four catchers ahead of those that grouping, uh, which, you know, you might be kicking yourself even more. Um, JT Romuto has a 97 WRC plus, which among catchers with 100 plate appearances, that is 14th. Wow. Uh, so not great. Yeah, it's not great. And uh, I'm feeling the pain, Steve. My my TGFBI, I, I got uh, Real Muto. I, I have Will Smith in my home league. It's uh, I, I'm feeling the pain in other ways, too, because, like, you know, I have Joey Bart and, you know, uh, Keeper Ruiz in a, in a few. I know he's been good, but the power really hasn't been there. But. Uh, I, I just saw this because he's 19th and has a 75 WRC plus a guy we didn't even mention here, Salvador Perez. I know he's been hurt, but wow, man, yeah. talk about a guy who was going in like the third round, essentially, maybe even creeped up in the second in some just because of that position eligibility. But I know he's had a few homers lately, but uh, th- this is looking like, you know, uh, 2017, uh, 220 with 28 homers, Salvador Perez, not 270 with 46 homers. Yeah, Perez with a ADP at 36. Um, I guess you wouldn't have passed on, like a, a Machado wouldn't have been available or anything. But yeah, it definitely feels like if you if you prioritize catcher, you're probably struggling right now and wishing that you grabbed an Austin Riley instead of like a Will Smith or yeah. a or a Sal Perez, but yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know that um, it's like you're not avoiding the headache either way, but what player did you pass up on in the opportunity? Yeah, maybe it's a, goal? maybe it's a, it's a place to be more aggressive and sort of stick to it more than I do with like the catcher carousel in, uh, in waivers early on in the season. Maybe, maybe that's sort of the, the way to do it. Like, you know, if you see Alejandro Kirk and, you know, you see his underlying metrics, I know it's really hasn't come to fruition until like the last two weeks, uh, you know, or you see Jonah Heim because Garver gets hurt and he he has some power that's actually translating this year and, and some extended playing time. Like be aggressive with those guys. Like even Gary Sanchez has been better recently and, and hit a few home runs like, Maybe that's a spot to sort of act quicker on in Fab if you don't have the, the you know if you avoid those top guys, just like also be relatively quick but more patient when you do add someone who could be a thing. Like if you have Travis Day or Noah all year, like you're doing fine. Like it's it's not that bad. Yeah, and maybe the other actionable piece of advice is 
is this a buy low opportunity on a handful of the catchers just knowing True. That they're not everywhere surely the Grandal manager is seeing a 163 average in a 487 OPS and they're like almost in drop territory yeah I'm wondering what, what could I offer you for uh for Grandal to to take him off your hands is it like you know uh I don't know. My, uh, Always uh, pitching, but yeah, yeah. Wh- who that would be at, at the right. You know, the, it seems like, and we'll talk about pitching. All right, here's a good one. Um, um, if I offer you like a, like a, like a pop-up pitcher, um, Ashcraft from the Reds, if I offer you get Graham Ashcraft mm-hmm. for... Um, Grandal. For Grandal, are, are, are you are you are you mashing accept on that trade? Oh, I'm definitely I'm definitely looking at that Cabrera. Any of these like new guys who are coming up yeah. dealing and yeah, it might not be a, a bad play honestly. I mean, it, like Grandal, he's still the plate discipline still looks great. This is very close to what he did last year. I know my whole off season spiel was that. The, the swing changes he made at the end of last year, I thought would stick around to where he could be in more like the 245. Even the bold prediction was up to like 260, and he's been 100 points below that on batting <laughs> average. So he did he did start slow, though. He's only 33. I know he's got a lot of mileage on him. Like I, I think it's a good target opportunity for Grandal just because, like you were saying, if you're on the catcher carousel, it's pretty brutal, and I, I think some of these guys will at least stick. But I guess the the bigger learning for me is, like, I've done it before, man. Evan Gaddis I drafted one year in, like, the fourth round. Like, it's so tempting to have a set-it-and-forget-it catcher, but it it's is. just I not. understand the logic, yep. Yep. So uh, we spent time on that, and, and that that's fair. I think before we move off batters, the other way we can kind of look at this – is more related to speed versus power because that's another trend that going into drafts, everyone knows that speed is viewed as as the scarcity. And coming into the season, power was kind of dime a dozen. And so really the only categorical bias you had was, you know, speed's the tiebreaker or you have to have a plan for steals. It's been an interesting trend. Obviously, with with the baseball, with the wonky weather, all the activity going on with, with batters basically having the suppressed power. Pulled some numbers, Steve. Last year to this date, there were 2,063 homers league-wide. This year, there's 1,707. Oh, that, so, that, that pains me, man. Uh-huh. Oh, my God. So oh. a significant drop. So then you venture over to steals and look at speed. Last year, 830 steals to date. This year, it has actually gone up to 841. So almost identical, but a slight bump there compared to the homers, which have really plummeted. So before I we wonder get into how the much of that, it might be a little bit closer. Sorry to interrupt, but like I know the season started a little bit later. I know no, that might so be like I was a, looking at I was looking you're at looking the at game number total. of games. Okay, great. 
Cool. Well, and I mean, it was a date range query, but the the like max games on both sides were like fifty nine. So I'm Got pretty it. sure. It's, okay. It's yeah, really because cool. I was going to say anyway, like the schedule is much more condensed despite the week later start this year. So more we might Thursday be, games. Yeah, there were relatively. There's been some double headers already that were just on the schedule. Um, so yeah, it's definitely a similar. Um, so talk to me, Steve. Like, uh, you know, obviously you hate this and and most of baseball fans everywhere are just waiting for like power to come around. But what do you how do you view this in the grand scheme of like draft takeaways? Do you think this will correct itself? Do you think there's any actionable fantasy advice? Um, I think the overall home run rate, and we're starting to see this, it's like picking, ticking back up to where it is. Like, you know, there's a million tweets on Twitter and like graphs of like, okay, here's the home run fly ball rate for this month. And it's trending closer to what it was for, for last year. So like we might trend closer, but it's not going to like, I, at least I don't think, uh, unless when it gets really hot that the homers go past a rate that we're at, um, last mm-hmm. year like it'll, it'll kind of just even out with the rates from last year is kind of what i'm saying um in yeah. a uh just had a daughter haze <laughs> ramble brain um scatterbrain but it's not going to make up for for the lost ground of of, of april and may uh, essentially so um you know i think maybe going forward it'll look similar but it, it's it's not going to eclipse anything at least i don't think um, but at least there'll be some more homers going forward. I, you know, uh, this year from you know from this point on forward. I think. Um, that being said, like I like that steals are up, and I know it's not that much, but maybe there's just more fantasy relevant players that are chipping in ten steals uh, rather than like a few guys having you know two or three that you really don't pay attention to. Yeah, because like, Mondesi and Witt aren't on this list yeah. at all. Yeah, um, Whit Merrifield. Uh, I know Bobby Whit has, I think, uh, you know, seven or eight steals too, which which is nice. But like J Rod is just incredible. Bader is having a career year and is more than just like a steal guy um, and, and low average. He's actually in for a decent average and some power too. Like kind of finally becoming that player that a lot of people thought he would be from a fantasy perspective. Edmund's been amazing. So. Um, As much as I don't like homers being down, um, I don't think it's making up for the fact that homers being down that steals are slightly up, but uh, I'm I'm here for it. Yeah, I know that it's kind of a deep analysis, but like Marcus Simeon, who is struggling, we've seen it in years past with different players, like when their power output's not there, it's almost like At least their steals, yeah. Yeah, they, They almost try to compensate to help somewhere on the field up until... The past three or four days, Acuna was a lot like that. I think he had two, maybe three homers, but 10 steals. And everyone was like, all right, well, we'll we'll take the speed. One thing that I think is kind of interesting on the home run leaders is just to like go through, because it's fun. We love looking at home run leaderboards. Judge has 22. He's in first place. Jordan Alvarez with 17 is in second. Mookie Betts, Pete Alonso both have 16. Uh, Christian Walker, Austin Riley, CJ Crone, Kyle Schwarber, Rizzo, Trout, Jose Ramirez. The reason I'm rambling these names is most of these guys are certified mashers. And I think that's something you can squint and say, like, this is the trend and kind of validates the theory. Because, you know, we're a third of the way through the season. You can't 
you know, extrapolate. It's the dangerous game, but Judge is on pace for 60 homers. Alvarez is on pace for 50 homers. Betts is on pace for 48 homers. Like, these are still high leader numbers. Granted, you expect there's going to be, like, some sort of regression there. But I think knowing that the league is down Mm -hmm. collectively on homers and this list is, you know, chock full of guys who are boppers, maybe it gives an extra bit of value to, like, a Pete Alonso or, like, a Giancarlo Stanton because – Regardless of the humidor or the ball, these guys aren't, you know, dishing out like wall scrapers. These are like certified sluggers. So I don't know if that's, a, you know, a reach, I, I but think that's that, a thought. no, it, it's, and, and, you know, Saris over the athletic has done a lot of research on it, how the, the biggest impact to the ball and the humidor are guys that hit opposite field homers. Um, so opposite field homers are, are the thing that, you know, uh, uh are impacted the most and there's there's fewer opposite field homers because of this ball in humidor than it has been in the past so like guys with like raw 70 80 degree power are still going to be these boppers but guys that were you know 25 or 30 homer hitters might be now 18 homer hitters uh things like that um you know where mullins last year had 30 homers maybe he's now just an 18 homer hitter or 20 homer hitter which is a big difference um and sort of where uh, this is having its biggest impact. So um, something to keep in mind, yeah, maybe those true mashers are still going to be um, mashers, and maybe it's a good idea to buy low on, like, Soler or, like, an Adam Duval, guys that have these amazing raw power, um, especially as the weather warms up. I sound like a broken record with that um, over the last few episodes and, and with this ball and everything, but... Um, Maybe those guys that have this raw power are still good buys, and the the ones that don't have the leaderboard home run totals are still guys to target. Yeah, and and Soler's a good name to throw out there because he he's warming up. He's yeah, that that's sort of closed already. But you know, maybe uh, like someone like Duval who hasn't heated up just yet and yep. gone on a run uh, is a better uh, target. Yeah, and then I think, uh, you know, you said most of it on, on steals. I think it's just good to point out or reiterate, like we said, with like with no Mondesi or Merrifield, like it, it's nice to see the love spread out here and that we could have like multiple 30 steal seasons. And on top of that, they're kind of guys that we drafted for steals. I think the mm-hmm. only one on the list, because the list just to rifle through it is, is uh, Rodriguez at, at 17, Bader and Edmund both have 14, Mateo 13, Trey Turner at 12, and then Eli White is probably the only one on the list that's not like fantasy rostered everywhere. CJ Mullins. Yeah, he might Straw. be like a better Miles Straw though this year now, Eli White. Like he might be, you know, I know Straw is kind of hasn't been as good of a hitter as he was last year and has been, you know, despite the 11 steals, not nearly worth the ADP, at least so far. Um, and White might be a little bit better there, and he was, you know, essentially free. Yeah, he has hot streaks. I mean, they they uh, sit him at the moment like, you know, one out every mm-hmm. three or four games. But in deeper, like, NFBC formats, he's a really good name to kind of, you know, just like the new age John Birdie type of thing. Yeah. To, to, um, yeah. I, I guess uh, he's still got a 64 WRC plus despite a 298 Babip and a leading just to a 196 average. So uh, strikes <laughs> out quite a bit. But. You know, for steals, uh, it, it, it's essentially free. Um, so, 
uh, a specialist down the home yeah, stretch. If exactly, you steals, exactly. For sure. Yeah. Well, we'll flip over to pitching and talk for a long while about the starting pitching landscape and trends from the draft. First, we are going to take a real quick ad break, and we will be right back. Hey, Alex Fast here, and thanks for listening to this podcast on the Pitcher List Podcast Network. If you're a fan, consider supporting all of us by getting a PL Plus subscription, where you're going to get an ad-free website and get access to our Discord, where you can talk to all of our podcast hosts and staff. Plus, you can hang out with our incredible Pitcher List community. It's basically a baseball sanctuary year-round for as low as $8 a month. You can sign up at PitcherList.com backslash plus, and you're going to get your first month free with promo code podcast also don't forget to check out everything else we do as well from youtube videos live streams newsletters off-season articles tiktoks breakdowns over 15 baseball podcasts on our network we can't stop talking about baseball even during the off-season so sign up for pl plus today at pitcherlist.com backslash plus and use promo code podcast to get your first month free all right thanks for listening let's get back to the show All right, so Steve, looking at the SP landscape, this one is a little bit trickier when it comes to what the industry trend was or what the the draft advice was because most people have different philosophies on like how many guys you have to get. I know Nick Pollock's stance was make sure you get four stable, reliable pitchers and then after that you can take shots. Some people would get real bold and do like pocket aces in the first and second rounds of the draft. And then I think generally our stance on it was we really liked this upper middle class from like pick 60 to 130, somewhere in that range. And we were trying to kind of, you know, tap into that a few times. We were calling it the honeypot. So just to kind of talk through some of this, the top four to five pitchers, which was really kind of like a tier one and tier two, was Garrett Cole and Corbin Burns, who have both been a solid return from your draft day investment. Then you got Max Scherzer, injury bug. You got Brandon Woodruff, injury bug, and performance has been wobbly. And then you got Walker Bueller, who, you know, it doesn't look awful, but it's not what you signed up for with a, a 384 ERA and a 131 whip. The strikeouts are never what you want, or I'm sorry, never what you're signing up for with Bueller, but they've been especially down this season. So this top group, Steve, I know you're not usually in on this, but I'm going to be thinking twice next year if the landscape looks similar about investing here because it's pretty much been two out of five so far. But what are your thoughts on this initial group of guys? Yeah, and there was some late healing for the Grom too when he was pitching in spring training and looking fine. So uh, it might be a top six that only two of them are sort of working out. Uh, I, I, Scherzer, it's it's you know the the performance has been there when he's on the field, but still, hey, he's going to be missing uh, at least a month. Uh, I know betting on him being out longer just because I think the pedigree is is probably a good idea, and I'm sure he'll be great when he comes back. But yeah, um, despite Cole and Burns being checks and correct, like. Is Burns as good as he was last year? I, I don't think so. I mean, he's been amazing, but it's not quite that level. Um, Cole's sort of been the steady guy since um, moving over full-time to the Yankees and, like, 
again, a step down from that peak Astro level where he was like, you know, a top five fantasy player. He's still, you know, a top one or two pitcher. But yeah, I mean, uh, this is validation for me as to why I don't pay these prices for for these SB1s. Yeah, and we talk about injury being like an inherent risk with any pitcher for whatever reason. It's probably complete random, but it seems like this tier has gotten a like a disproportionate amount of injury bugs and compared to some of the next guys we'll be talking about. And then if you look at hitters in this range, it's really not as many injuries. I mean, like Tim Anderson, you know, Buxton missed some time, but overall nothing quite as drastic as what we've seen with the the group of top end arms. So I'm, I'm with you on that. And I think that kind of takes you right to that SP2, SP3 cluster, you know, skipping the the group that we didn't go in on that much of like Shane Bieber, Giolito, uh, you know, we liked Nola with kind of the, the weird numbers last year with such a good whip and a bad ERA. But I want to move back to like pick 60 to 125, which I know seem like arbitrary numbers, but this is really where we were talking about like starting at Joe Musgrove and going all the way up to like that Logan Gilbert area. And this was where, I mean, a lot of people were saying this upper middle class is a great group to to load up on. And I think it's where you were getting like your SP1, SP2, Steve. And I've been really sold on like what we've seen so far from this. So of these, of the, this range that we talked about, ADP 60 to 125, we've had Justin Verlander, number one pitcher right now. Shane McClanahan, number two pitcher right now. Joe Musgrove, number four. Alec Manoa, number five. And then just kind of a swath of guys who have been solid at their draft price. Max Freed, Kevin Gossman, Frankie Montas, Eovaldi, Chris Bassett. Carlos Rodon has been tail of two seasons already, and he's really cooling off. But I think overall you're happy with the Rodon pick. Dylan Cease and Logan Webb is kind of wavering. But those are all kind of in that category here of like, it's worked out. And the, the ones that didn't work out, the list is a lot shorter with like Jose Barrios, who already looks like he's going to be turning around. Lance Lynn, who had the knee issue. Charlie Morton. Trevor Rogers, certainly. Uh, Darvis just had a good start, but it's been a little bit off. And Blake Snell, Luis Castillo, and Sale both had an injury. So there's been good and bad. Just when I ran the numbers on these, it was 60% of the pitchers in this range kind of are overperforming your your ADP at draft day. 40% of them are misses. So I don't think it's like a major trend, but knowing that McClanahan, Verlander, Musgrove, that these guys make up four of the five, like top five pitchers, to me is like next year, I, I think I'm really going to be considering load up on the, the mighty middle and don't invest in a guy and, and skip like our, you know, Rafi Devers or something like that. But high level thoughts on kind of the second batch of pitchers and kind of what you think about uh, this tier, what it means for fantasy. Welcome. That is music to my ears. It took a, a year and a half of podcasting with you, but we're fine. I don't know if this is a good thing. Maybe if we are uh, competing in a league together, we're going to be going after a lot of the same guys, but yeah, this is the tier. Like I know it's 60% good, 40% bad, but find the guys that you love. Like, you know, this is where Musgrove was going around last year. Like, this is where, you know, uh, 
you know, a little bit higher, but Burns was around pick 60, 70 that I would have considered the upper middle class, you know, he was going as quote unquote an SP2. Like I listened back to the episode we did with Paul Spore in the off season. It's like, yeah. And there was an exact line for me. Like, I know this is extremely cherry picking and, you know, probably uh, too much of a victory lap, but whatever. It's like I said, you know, there's going to be a lot of leagues where I'm drafting McClanahan as my SP1. Like, and that's that he's SP one. Like he is the SP one. SP one. Like yeah. Like right. like uh you know, find the guy that you love. Like that's what I love about off season pitching analysis. Like, you know, uh, I, I fell in love with Cease, digged into him and like targeted him too, just as much as McClan and that's sort of the downside case of it. I know he's still having some issues with control, but he's still been what I would consider a top starting pitcher, like, you know, the strikeouts. Is, yeah, alone. the strikeouts alone. So there's been some bumps in the roads with with the command, but we've seen him battle through that and 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 get better with it uh, as recently as last season too. So if anything, I think it's a buy low opportunity on Cease, but that's more of a ramble. And you know, find a guy that you love in in this air in this section. Like you know, there was guys that were all over Verlander talking themselves into it, and that's paid off too. Um, sure. There are some landmines, and you know there, there's going to be some injuries here too, like there is with Lynn and and Morton too. Was another guy that I could have easily seen myself being a, 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 as the first pitcher taken for me, but um, you know maybe maybe there's some sort of you know I I think uh, I forget who did it on uh, on Reddit or what the formula was. It's like. Uh, you know the Brandon Woodruff formula or something like that, and they like look at they they post it every year. I forget who. Uh, oh, the, it's like the Corey Kluber formula, like the the guy who's going to be a breakout right. pitcher, and like they, they there might be some sort of formula here to like be like, okay, it has to be under this amount of age, has to have this certain K rate, like something as stupid as simple as that. I know it's not, uh, a, you know, science, uh, and, and it won't always be a hit, but maybe there's a way to apply it to this range and like you're going to end up with McClanahan and Musgrove a lot, you know? Yeah. I mean, you know, I think some trends, Severino and Verlander were both part of that. Like, what do we do with the guys coming back from injury? And both of them are really looking like they're working out. But I go back to what you said at the start of the show that like sometimes ADP is just a, a byproduct of groupthink and early trends. And there were some people, you mentioned Paul Sporer, he was on the record several times saying like, no, I am I am skipping, I'm cutting out the middleman and instead of Verlander going from, you know, ADP 120 up to 95, like I'm just cementing him in like, I forget what he said, but it was like the 40 to 50 range yeah. overall ADP. And, it's like, and that like looks you, brilliant. Yeah, and like you're going to be, it's like fine. Like I, the, <laughs> it's a good way to look at it. It's like, you know, I'm getting this one picture that I like at this range and I'm willing to play at this price because that's, you know, where I value him based on this, this analysis. Like it's, it's a, it's a good way to, to approach things for this tier. Yeah. I didn't realize Steve that this, the subplot on this whole episode is me converting to your draft strategy. Yeah. Of oh, yeah. Load up on reliable stud bats and then just go in strong on these, <laughs> these pitchers that can pop because if you have a, Charlie Morton and a McClanahan, you're still probably not oh, yeah. complaining you're if still, you went yeah, batters not at the all. first six rounds. So, not at all. Not at yeah. all. Well, and then it's worth noting that just outside of this range, so if you move the slider from ADP 125, push it out to like 150, 160 
and continue to not quite like dart throws, but, you know, kind of tapping in in that middle class of pitching. Logan Gilbert is there. Pablo Lopez, Zach Gallen, who's having a fantastic bounce back, and Tarek Skubal, who we've been talking about all year. These are more names that, again, so, it's so just if like, those are your that's your first two SPs. You are amazing in your pitching in your league. Like if you got from those two tiers, like you're probably doing really, really well. Yeah, it's a good play. Like if if this is kind of what it looks like next year, which I imagine, obviously, the names and the order will change. But we were going into the draft saying, you know, this is a great place to double tap, triple tap. And I personally didn't do it enough. I mean, I have some shares in this range, but I really wish that I would have just completely focused four or five rounds in a row going for this tier because it's just not that big of a ADP investment. So then you, you kind of move to the darts. And the next topic within the SP landscape that I wanted to focus on, Steve, is looking at guys that like the industry buzz of them being like a a breakout pitcher. And these are ones that, you know, everyone has their name circled. You know, one year it was Blake Snell, um, you know, last year, Freddie Peralta. This year, there are a lot of these names that were kind of buzzing around. And Logan Gilbert was on that fringe, but we'll remove him because we just talked about him. Some of the other ones, we'll maybe start with, with kind of the bad because... I was really in on Josiah Gray. He's warming up a little bit with a couple good starts in a row, but overall, pitching no. great tonight. He is tonight. Okay. Oh well, yeah. Then, then he might be coming around. That's another uh, watch lister there. Five innings, six hits, six Ks, one walk. So I know yeah. it was versus uh, the Marlins, but still, that's a that's a great start for him. Yeah, they all count. And the uh, Tanner Houck was was on your side, Steve, and that one is was one that we knew was kind of like is the the opportunity there because the skill definitely is and right now that's going the wrong direction Mm -hmm. even though he's a great holds piece um some of the other ones patrick sandoval he showed flashes of it at the start of the season he's really lost a feel for the change up which is his -hmm. entire value so we'll have to see on sandoval but that one i've kind of noted as meh like not really uh, Jordan Montgomery, another one that you were big on. He's had terrible luck with wins, but I think overall you're happy with Oh, yeah. So Monty is definitely in the list of yes for the upside darts. Um, and then some deeper ones with Aaron Ashby, which was a name everyone liked. And it's been a, a wild ride to get here because of the fact that he didn't have the opportunity. Then he came in for spot starts. The control was all over the place. But now he is pretty much like cemented as a top 40, 50 pitcher, given that the the Woodruff injury and just what what he's doing performance-wise with double-digit strikeout games. And, uh, yeah, I think overall on this, my thoughts, I'm curious on your Steve, is enough of these are hitting to where I think you can still basically skip that ace tier, go after the big cluster, and then just load yep. up on the darts. fire up and then like it doesn't really matter like because we're at a point where the cost it's like all right if you if you got Hauk, uh you know pick up kyle wright like you know the guys there we talk about in the, in the next in the next section like the out of nowhere breakouts like um i really really think that the best way to do pitching is to like load up on that middle tier find some guys you like um the pick 80 to 120 range then take some more um guys just below that um so like you know if you're looking at the the color board on your nfbc 
draft. Like you want it to be all yellow from like rounds eight to like 15, essentially right. like right. that. That's where you're going. And like, take these upside darts, take these shots, like in round 13, 14, 15, like it doesn't matter. Like, sure. You're bumping their costs and like, it's going to get oohs and ahs that you took Aaron Ashby in the 14th round, but Hey, you won't miss him. And then you have your dart and it's not that big of a deal if you're cutting him, if he's not great, uh, in, 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 you know, just a few starts in because that's when you got to churn, like you're churning and finding these guys that we'll talk about in the next little segment here, uh, with these pickups. Um, you know, you're not too concerned if you got, you know, um, you know, uh, Josiah Gray and he was just destroying your ratios, not saying that he's a drop or anything, but I, I don't know whoever was the biggest bust from this, this, this upside dart area. Cause I'm sure there, there was some, um, but you know, uh, you could have easily dropped him for Mackenzie Gore, right? Like that's that, that's what you could do. Uh, if you just load up on pitching in those late middle, you know, rounds eight to the late middle rounds. Yeah. And, one thing we should note with all of this is just that pitching in general, like the the league average on ERA has come down so much as well. So that's like, yes, that's one True. more element. A lot of guys look better about, than. Yeah. 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 So, they, you know, that might include this list. And, you know, suddenly it, I don't think anyone would be shocked if. You know, Montgomery doesn't have like a a 3-2 ERA at the end of the season. Mm -hmm. But that said, we were just talking about how the power output is top heavy with the the home run leaderboard and everything. When you look at the pitching, some of those top performers, like a Garrett Cole doesn't look as good when all these other names are around him, I guess is my point. So I think it it further underlines that, you know, in, in this environment, the amount of production you're getting from deeper round pitchers kind of dilutes that early investment. So I'm furthering into your point, but let's talk about kind of the final uh, batch, Steve, which you hinted at with like Kyle Wright, but this is also like, you know, you talked about the catcher carousel. This is just piloting a bunch of SP sixes and sevens early on in the season, seeing what sticks, but that's been another really big story. I feel like in the, the young season that we've had is there's been a lot of these out of nowhere SP breakouts. So maybe run through some of these, these names and what you think about um, just how that factors into kind of draft strategy and the, in the overall pitching landscape. Um, I, I mean, I kind of hit it on, on, on the last segment, but like, these are the guys that, you know, you see Kyle Wright come out and strike out, you know, nine guys in his first start in the beginning of the year, like jump on that. Like, you know, Nestor Cortez, nobody believed it. Like, you know, he came out and pitched great, and, like, people were still slow to buy on it. And now if you if you added him and believed in him after those first few starts, you got the number six starting pitcher on the Rasball Player Raider, which is just absolutely insane. Like, this is just another reason why I think that it's not worth it to to – to invest in early pitching because there's so many guys that break out late. Like, you know, guys like Christian Javier were inserted into the rotation. Joe Ryan was like named an opening day starter and like has pitched essentially like an ace and yeah. was probably more in that upside, you know, uh, upside dart area, but you know, it's still mm-hmm. kind of like an out of nowhere breakout. Um, and there's still guys that, this happens, you know, all the time. Like Graham Ashcraft, who I brought up, has looked great. 
uh, in his first few starts. Veronzi, um, Contreras. Veronzi's look yeah. great. Spencer Strider's like finally getting a start, a crack at the rotation. Like, there's still guys that pop up uh, here on June 8th for for starting pitching. I think more so than hitters. There, they, you know, there still will be some 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 guys that that break out and bounce back, especially. Uh, as my my favorite line, as the the ball gets it gets uh, as the weather gets warmer and the ball travels further, but um, yeah, there, there's a lot of breakouts that that could happen. And if you if you view those last few spots as like, all right, whether I draft it or or add them off a the wire, I'm going to use these spots as a guy who's going to be a pop up uh, starting pitcher and be a, a, a staple for my rotation for for the whole year. And I think it's a good way to to approach things. Yeah, and. With the environment and like we were saying that, you know, the the pitching landscape could look a lot different in mid-August. I think this is also a group, while it's very impressive, but the fact that like Tyler Anderson is the number 11 pitcher on the Rasball Player Raider, Martin Perez, Eric Lauer, who's kind of slowed down on the K rates, like these could also be really wise pieces to try to flip for like a Brandon Woodruff. I mean, obviously you'd have to load up more than Tyler Anderson but I think that you know there's the idea is now you have pitching assets and from there you can do with what you want whether it's like mm-hmm. a Jeffrey Springs has a lot of hype and and great underlying metrics and everything you could probably turn a Jeffrey Springs into one of those struggling guys who is you know higher up the board like a Blake Snell if you wanted to um that's an if but the, the last thing I wanted to kind of note, Steve, because I thought it was interesting. Uh, we were talking about Eno Saris earlier. I went back to Eno's spring training stuff rankings. So guys that, you know, really showed up high on the stuff plus model because everyone always looks at spring training and questions every year if it's valuable. Kind of interesting that these were the names on his list of spring training stuff leaders. Garrett Cole. Yeah, not much to do with there. Mitch Keller, not as much. Jordan Montgomery, one of our names we were just saying worked out well. Aaron Nola, not as much actionable. But then some of these last ones with Tarek Skubal and Alec Manoa, if you would have taken that as a valuable piece of mm-hmm. information and kind of bumped them up your boards a little bit, you'd be feeling really good right you got, now about You got Skubal two SP1s on your hand. I know Manoa's, Manoa's probably being drafted as like a 1A sort of two. But Scooball is definitely in that upside shot and you know, has been uh, SP1 for sure. Yeah, so I guess just a uh, tip of the cap to the Stuff Plus model uh, and not ignoring spring training numbers for the most part. That said, Trevor Rogers was also on that list, and yep. Rogers looks quite lost right now. Yes. Are we still, well, just sidebar, Steve? Uh, what are we I, I I love Trevor Rogers. I had him in a lot of places last year. I know we talked about him a bunch last year with George Bissell of NBC Sports Edge, and he was great. But I, I don't know. There 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 was, despite him being amazing last year, there was some like agita that I got from watching all of his starts. Sometimes it just looked like his fastball like couldn't find the zone sometimes and got hit harder. I know this is like revisionist history as like someone who was fully in on Rodgers last year, but I don't have any shares this year. Um, And that wasn't by much of a reason, probably more by luck for me. Um, That being said, I don't know. Like I can't, yeah, the changeup is just so it's not the same, but I think it's so good that it'll eventually be back. And the heater will then play off of that and the slider too. Like 
every he has all the tools and I think it'll be a great buy last year if he doesn't fu- next year if he doesn't fully figure it out like he's definitely going to be in like the that upside play like maybe it'll be like a a stretch of underlying numbers here with Rodgers at the end of the year that make him more intriguing um than he is if he doesn't absolutely fully turn it around which I think is I'd, I'd still say more likely than not with Rodgers maybe that's more hopeful and wish casting of me um but again yeah, I, I'd though. buy I'd buy low on Rodgers that uh, that's a long-winded way of saying that yeah, I mean, again, two months into the season, this is where we are at last year with Luis Castillo, and he yep. ended up being rock solid for the last three months. So mm-hmm. uh, rounding it out, as always, Steve, with with saves and closers, our favorite topic, but uh, I feel like I've been taking the air out of the microphone here. So if you want to walk through just at a high level what you kind of saw with draft season trends with saves and kind of what we've seen so far, what to make sense of it as it relates to closers and, and kind of the draft investment. Yeah. I, I was big on just being blown away by how uh, the, the, the high price, maybe this was more an NFBC space than, than others that the top two closers had and Hader and Hendricks um, haters returned the value. I mean, I know he blew a save. Uh, I think it was last night, but that might've been his first one. And, has been everything as advertised. So um, despite me rambling on about that, like haters had the value, but Hendricks has not like, I know he's been a top closer, but uh, there was some, you know, rough stuff in the beginning of the year, some blown saves, but yeah, close to a three RRA. If you're drafting that in the third round, like even with the 16 saves, that is not going to get it done. You need to pitch essentially like hater is, uh, with an ERA under one and a whip of 0.67 with those gaudy save totals uh, to return that value. So uh, 50-50 shot on that, uh, that kind of cost. Now I'd rather take a, an, an elite hitter um, at that price. Um, the rest of it, you know, sort of to pull you back in here, like the upper, the, the, the guys that you drafted in like round six, seven, eight, nine, they've been pretty good, but, I don't think they've been like a great investment overall. No, I don't think so. Yeah. And, you know, I think the the other element is if you're not drafting closers, you're just kind of, you know, ruthlessly on the wire. And there's been enough out there with like David Bednar, um, who has had close Mm -hmm. to elite ratios there. And still has 10 saves. Yeah, oh, Bednar's Bednar's been a top closer. Absolutely. He's been been a ton. And, yeah. and you're not you're not investing anywhere near like at a seventh eighth round pick there, uh, you know. Raciel Iglesias, four sixty six ERA. I think he was like the third or fourth mm-hmm. closer off the board on draft day. So that's been brutal. Even if he is still keeping the job and everything, um, other emergers. I mean, Clay Holmes with the Chapman injury. He's you know, he's lucked into a bunch of wins for the Yankees as well with four wins so far already. But number two on the, the Rasball player rater for, for closers is Clay Holmes. So um, just another example that you can, you can all in some way, shape or form, whether it's injury or whether it's just kind of a closer by committee and somebody emerges, it seems like there's always stuff out there. You know, we have other names on the list, Daniel Bard, 12 saves. Uh, Daniel Robinson's been a great uh you know, sort of waiver wire add to. 
Yep. Um, and and I, I, you know, I know uh, I went back and forth with Adam Howe, our podcast manager on this and the, uh, um, has the on the wire show about all the fab pickups every week with Kevin Hastings. Um, you obviously should be listening to that on the Pitcherless podcast network. If you're not, um, I, I understand like, you know, the, the logic is that you don't have to spend a lot, you know, the $200 of fab on Daniel Bard after he has three saves in the first week. If you do have one of those guys, despite, Rysel Iglesias not being exactly worth his ADP and sort of underperforming it, you know, you're you're spending that fab elsewhere and you still have the same amount of saves. It's a good point. Um, you know, I, I, that's probably more of like a head-to-head or daily pickup or or, or daily fab sort of play and and the way that I sort of play than rather a, an NFBC mindset. Um, where you know you could bid five bucks on Daniel Bard uh, just because he's got one save. You don't have to wait till Sunday to pick him up, and it's not like a weekly fav uh, sort of thing. So, um, you know, uh, totally understand and, and agree with his logic there, and sort of uh, I guess I'm finally you know conceding conceding that point, uh, despite <laughs> the fact that my point is still valid in that you know. In Hendrix general, is, yeah, is, is just yeah. Hendricks is just a, was a completely overpriced. Like uh, I'm not spending a third round pick on that, but yeah, uh, Iglesias, despite him not being great, is probably still worth it in like the sixth round because you know you don't have to spend that fab uh, on 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 Daniel Bard or you know uh, David Robertson. Maybe the the sweet spot is to find the David Bednar, that, but that's that's easier said than done. Like and draft him, but you know if you did Bednar and Barlow and took shots there, um, maybe that's the best way to do it. Yeah, and I don't mind um, the the logic in industry leagues, especially where it's like get one guy who has the solid role, so that way you're only chasing one closer. I know. Yeah, it that's fair. That's a that's a good balance too. Yeah. And, and especially when you look at closers next to catchers, I think my lamp of learning here is where this year I was like double tapping catcher and everything, you know, not to just do recency bias, but I think I'm, I'm learning the lesson that the, the value you're giving up for the catcher when it's such a question mark, if a, a real Muto is good, like I would have rather drafted Josh Hader than JT Real Muto, I guess is the point. Yeah, um, that, that's I guess, fair. I think you could kind of almost approach them maybe the same, the similar way. Like maybe grab a, you know, a top 10 catcher that you like. And even if it is Real Muto this year, it's still not horrible. Like he still has like four steals and, yep. you know, will probably be a lot better than he currently is now. And then use that other spot to like find the Jonah Heim or you know the Alejandro Kirk. Yeah, oh, I love it. Same same way with the pitcher, like the closers. Like, sure, Ryan Presley was hurt and like looked bad and like the sky was falling for a bit there. But you know, have Presley and then try to find one spot uh, for your David Robertson or Daniel Bard. Yeah, I totally agree. And then yeah, you blink. Presley's got eleven saves, and you're not in a huge bind yep. there. So that yep. makes sense. Well, Steve, uh, great to sneak in a rundown here. Um, I'd imagine your life uh, goes right back from the normal routine of wins above fantasy to brave new world, man. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I got to go do some tasks, organize the house a little bit, get ready for uh, 
a, a long list of chores that uh, I, I'm gonna you know do my best to make even longer and get everything done. So uh, to help out and uh, you know carry my weight here, uh, despite squeezing in a, a fantasy baseball podcast. Hey, well, congratulations, man! I know that uh, anyone who's been playing fantasy as long as we have, and plenty of our listeners, I'm sure. You kind of know that fantasy, it kind of goes in stride with life's biggest moments, good or bad. I, you know, we've had moments in my family where, you know, weddings, funerals, everything in between. It's like there's always some lineup check and it's kind of a it's a good thing. It doesn't have to be this like priority battle. So love that sure. you were able to get on the show. Be sure to thank Lauren for me and, and congratulate her. Um, but yes, this was this was a fun one, man, and we will be in touch uh, next week. I'll be in Atlanta, but still recording there. Co- totally bummed that Atlanta is on the road next oh, week. Oh, man, so that would have been great. Yeah, that was my next yep. question. Oh, I'm super bummed. It was a bad lineup check when I was going to look at uh, Acuna <laughs> and Harris. But thanks, guys, for, for tuning in and listening to us. Uh, I'm Van Burnett. You guys can find me on Twitter at Van underscore Verified. And Steve, the new father, is at Stav8818. Uh, feel free to write us in. Any show topics you got or questions you want answered, our email is winsabovefantasy at gmail.com. And otherwise, we're here every Thursday morning. We appreciate you guys talking baseball with us, and we will talk to you next week. Thanks for talking baseball with us, guys. Talk to you later.